0: My name is Phil, um, I'm the executive pastor here, I serve on the, on the staff team of the church. And this morning, I want to take a different approach um, to our typical sermon series, um, our typical way of learning together. I want us to talk through a little bit about where we are as a church and where we're, where we're headed. Now typically, this kind of content, if you like, um, is in a maybe a meeting or a vision meeting or something. Um, instead of this kind of instead of a sermon, so this state of the union, as it were, moment is going to be in a message format. I just felt like it provided a little bit more transparency um, and allowed everyone to engage with um, kind of where we are. As I said, please stay afterwards if you can. We'd love to chat and hang out and answer any questions that might arise. But if you're new to to LMCC, if you're new here, uh, or it's one of your first times maybe attending, um, you're not alone. So let me tell you that first of all. There are a lot of new faces that have appeared over the past few uh, weeks and months. Um, Our community has changed over this past short while. Um, And if you've joined us in this moment, no, this isn't maybe a typical sermon, although this is a typical kind of what a Sunday might look like. And let me briefly catch you, I mean, really briefly catch you up to speed. This church was founded as a response to 9-11 to bring hope to the community of lower Manhattan. And it's gone through a few iterations um, and at least one significant rebirth since then. And prior to COVID, this church predominantly served families like married couples with kids, that kind of thing. And the pastor at the time had been in position for, for some 10 years, leading the church through some great growth seasons, financially, numerically. And then he tra- transitioned out in the summer of 2019, appointing the new lead, who was then the executive pastor, Logan. And he led the church throughout COVID, through the COVID response. He navigated well an online virtual congregation through that challenging time and transitioned off staff last summer. So over the past months, the leadership team have been in prayer and discernment of the next season of LMCC. And it's really easy to immediately think of the who. But if you look back in scripture, and the the one that stood out to me was Moses. When he was charged with taking the people to the promised land, he asked God who will go with them. And God responds in Exodus 33. So one day Moses says to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me, I know you by name. I look favorably on you. So if it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways. So I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, this nation is your very own people. In this dialogue, the Lord replies, I will personally go with you, Moses. And I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Moses, in this dialogue, says... If you don't personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. Because how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. And then Moses responds with this. He says, then show me your glorious presence. Show me your glorious presence. Let's think now, when was the last time you spent time on your knees asking God with desperation to show you his glorious presence? Moses doesn't ask for for wisdom. He asks for presence. At the end of that exchange, Moses doesn't ask God for another co-lead or another leader, or another personality to help him physically move the thing along. He knows that this guide is going to be better than a map. He knows an intimate relationship with God of the universe is infinitely more powerful and more valuable than anything else. And that is his priority. And God grants him that privilege. He hides Moses in the cleft of a rock. And as he passes by, Moses' face shines, radiating the glory of the Lord. Now Moses' Moses' face shines with God's glory because he boldly sought after God and he was easily set apart. He reflected God's goodness. If we spend time in God's glorious presence, real time, if we seek that intimacy, then we too, as a church, as individuals, will shine for him. Throughout the story of Moses, he, he constantly goes back to meeting with the Lord. He goes up Mount Sinai seven, eight times to spend time with the Lord because it's when we meet with God, When we spend intentional quality time with the Lord, the transformation can happen. And so that's what we've sought to do, to be in God's presence over the past few months, to respond to a church that looks different than it did in 2018, that has maybe fewer families and more young professionals. We've sought to circle around scripture, to build a a Sunday teaching arc around fundamental biblical truths, We've invested time and effort in meeting with God and hearing from him. In Joshua 4, God gives instructions to build a memorial after he leads his people across the Jordan. So they don't forget where they've journeyed, the path that they've, they've trodden. Because it's good to look back, to see where we've come from, see how we got here, why we did it in the first place. There's a warning that comes alongside that memorial of the past, of what God has done in the past. In Revelations 2, it's talking to the church at Ephesus, and it says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work. I've seen your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil. You've examined the claims of those who've said they're apostles but are not. You've discovered their are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. All good things. Well done. But following that praise, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you You did it first. So look back. Don't forget the journey. But don't get caught up in simply repeating the actions of the past. If Moses were to look back, like we've been doing, his first works were an encounter. An encounter with trepidation and reckless abandon. It's the Lord and it's Moses meeting for the first time in this awkwardly awe-filled moment in the middle of nowhere. In Exodus 3, Moses meets God at this burning bush moment. And it says that Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. But from that encounter, from that connection, Moses embarks upon a leadership journey he didn't ask for. He isn't equipped for. But he goes forward trusting in the Lord, trusting in the encounter with that vulnerability and with the Lord's strength. And throughout chapters and chapters of leadership, Moses keeps coming back to intimacy with the Lord. He knows where his strength is from. He knows where his source is. He knows that being in God's presence is the first works he clings to. The actions might change. The tasks are different. Responsibilities perhaps grow larger. But the need is the same. And the posture of Moses is so different from the image of him covering his face in fear at the burning bush to him descending the mountain with the Ten Commandments, his face shining with God's glory, ushering in a new covenant for God's people. And that transformation came through connection with the Lord. Um, We've been, as I say, in prayer, and fasting, and discernment, and recently, a few weeks ago, um, I felt the Lord lead me to Zechariah 1.3, and that says a similar kind of message, return to me, and I will return to you. We're not to abandon everything, maybe even abandon anything that went before us. We want to honor the work that has gone before us. We stand on the shoulders of those that led this church for years. We benefit from their strengths, from their efforts, from their work. We benefit from all the things they brought to their table, including their weaknesses, just as we do today. We bring the same. There was so much good in the past of this church. The legacy of the church has done so much good, and we want to carry that with us. And to some degree, we want to return to some of that stuff too. The legacy of imperfect people serving God the very best way they can. But as imperfect people, it's important, I think, in this moment, just to pause for a moment and acknowledge there were elements that were not good. And I'm afraid to say there are likely to be elements again in the future which are not good. We're imperfect people. I've only been on staff for 18 months or so. I don't have first-hand experience of the entire history of this church, a church that God loves, a church that God has blessed But I know from the testimony of others that at moments in the past, there were situations, there were seasons where words and actions by church leadership were hurtful, that caused some people to leave, that caused some people to carry some burden of pain and journey of healing. Those aren't my stories to tell, and they may not be yours either. But regardless of how those situations arose or how the intentions were behind them, the goal of a church is to draw people to Jesus and not push them away. So where this church, where those were few moments, or any church didn't fulfill that role as a leadership, we are sorry. And those things we can't undo. But as we move forward, we can be committed to creating an environment that has some safeguards and some accountability and some changes in that regard. So we look ahead, we look through the lens of Jesus, Together, we help each other through our weaknesses, cover each other's blind spots. We tread prayerfully forward with faith, learning from the past. And that might feel like a big statement, but really, it's not a new concept. I'm not making headline news here. I'm saying don't make mistakes of the past. Okay. Don't follow practices and customs that you've just been told to do. Challenge them. Test them. Pray about it. Our goal here is not to recreate the church of 2015, 2018, 2021, or even last week. Our goal is to allow God to lead the church to where he wants it to be now and in the future. Kara over here, she was a pastor, helped lead the church for many years, very faithfully, and she often said, I'm going to paraphrase, so if it's not quite right, I'm sorry, but I think it's okay. She said she's not interested in what such-and-such a church is doing, so-and-so church, whatever church in the city, it's just great, listen to them, but I'm not interested in what they're doing. I don't want to copy someone else because honestly, we won't do it as well anyway. We want to seek God's purpose for this church in this time. and I think that's true. Let's seek God's purpose for this church in this time, this little church that God loves. So to do that, over the past few months, we've had some work to do behind the scenes, look at what to keep, what to build on, what to maybe tear down, if you like. We had organizational structural work to do. If you're building like a building, and organizations are kind of like a building, you have to build unseen foundations. If you're renovating, you have to bring, into, bring in something into relevance. You've got a wallpaper maybe over the cracks. It's better if you fix the cracks first, then they won't reappear later. As the structure grows, if you don't do that work, the integrity will fail. So as we move towards what God has for us, we do so on the shoulders of those who went before. Throughout history, we take on the baton of leaders or ancestors, not from just the 10 the past 10 20 years, but we just started with Moses, a thousand generations bowed down in worship. We benefit from the leg of the race they ran. We readjust, we take aim. And we run our leg as best we can following Jesus. So where are we? Well, unfortunately, it's not a very simple four-step process. But here's an idea that might give you a visual. It's going to be on the screen, which is not very big either. But hopefully you can sort of see it. I'd love to say here are the steps we're taking to move us to the next thing, but change isn't really linear. Any change isn't linear. There's moments of faster movements, there's periods of slower movement, there's wins, there's losses. Moving too fast can be problematic just as moving too slow can be, but there are two what we think fairly distinct seasons. There's a seeking and listening season or period, and there's an action and anticipation season. And we've been in the seeking and listening predominantly, which is like that direction setting and identity finding and communicating that kind of stuff. And we started that with that with the transition. Like there was physical stuff that needed to be do, and then entered the season of discernment. And the second broad season is this action and anticipation, where we're moving to some kind of strategy, we're moving into implementation, and where we find ourselves right now is the bit where the circles overlap. we've listened, we've discerned, and we're moving into some actions and steps. So we have some updates in that. So that's kind of where we are. But change isn't linear. We go back and forth as we try and um, adapt to change and as we try and um, uh, follow Jesus as well. You can take that down. Thank you. Over the past few months, we've worked behind scenes to shore up systems and processes. Now, I understand there are not many people here that delight in guidelines and policies in the way that some of us do but what they do is assist in avoiding miscommunications, assist in missed expectations. They help build foundations of trust and of understanding within a culture. We have a comparably large staff for the size of this church. And as the staff teams grow, elements of policies and structures need to grow with them. And we discovered over the past little while, we found ourselves a little behind in that area. Nothing crazy, but some work to be done. In the spirit of of transparency, over the past 18 months, um, we have had a set of bylaws by this church, but they haven't been held front and center. They have been required by financial institutions. They've been used for that kind of purpose. They weren't necessarily written specifically for this church, but they served that purpose in establishing the organization. We had them, but they weren't being used as a cornerstone. And now they are. Fundamentally, we didn't really change much in those documents, but we updated it to provide clarity around how the leadership should operate. And we're now using it as another anchor point for our organization, as a guide in how we embark upon the season ahead to avoid those miscommunications, to avoid those missteps, to help with each other's blind spots. Jesus is still and always will be at the head of this church. The leadership team, which I'll talk about shortly, still lead the church. They're a bit more hands-on perhaps in this season than in previous for obvious reasons as we're in a leadership transition. But they remain responsible for the appointment of leadership staff, for budget management, and for major decisions on behalf of and in collaboration with the congregation with you. And as a leadership team, we spent much time discerning who we are and who does God want us to become. This, This little church that God loves, this little church that God has blessed What's our identity? And the existing vision statement and mission statement had such godly truth woven through it. And we spent time in prayer over these statements. We felt that God was was leading us to just just sharpen that focus even more, to hone in on a statement that we could get our arms around and our hearts around. And it really brought us to this question of why. And this this diagram on the screen, you, you may know this. It's just an idea of, of what, how, and why, and most things, most organizations, most products, you know what they do, you know what someone is selling. You might know how they get there, but do you know why? Do you know why? Why do you get out of bed in the morning, and then why should anyone care? It's a really important question to answer, and that's where we wanna start and not end with. So we're inviting people to, to join us in a belief, to join us in a vision, to join us with our why, and then join us on a Sunday, rather than the other way around. So as we challenge ourselves to what the why is, the why do we get out of bed in the morning, why should anyone care, our long-term, far-reaching belief and goal is this, to see all people transformed by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It hasn't really changed. We've, we've honed it a tiny bit, but it's the same vision this church has held for a long time, to see all people transformed by Jesus through his power. And we'll continue until that work is complete. All people. Because through all those people, we see transformation in constructs and communities. We see the breakdown of generational sin and shame. Through the transformation of people, we see, we see God move and we see God work. So how, how do we work to make that happen? Well, that's our mission, that's our daily challenge, our daily task. And that's to serve lower Manhattan and beyond by uniting people to God and to others. Uniting people to God and to others. That's the work to unite people to God, to bring them to His feet, to the throne room, to show the unity and reconciliation that Jesus offers, the grace and love and compassion that he has for each of us. And secondly, to bring people into community with each other. To serve lower Manhattan and beyond by uniting people to God and to others. So then lastly, the what? Well, the what are the programs. It's how we implement that vision, how we do that work. It's the the product. Rather than maybe listing all the things that we do Church on Sundays, community groups, etc. We took the existing vision statements and used them as a values framework. And these focus areas will help guide where we work and how we plan. And there's six, they will have an action just to make them a little bit more dynamic than just phrases. The first is worship will pour out our affections to Jesus. Second, we value biblical study and teaching by shaping our lives by God's nature and truth. We value prayer. Encountering God's transforming presence. We value unity, pursuing Jesus, an authentic community with each other. We value giving, trusting God with our finances. And we value renewal, seeking God's restoration and healing. And how is that playing out? Well, we don't, as I said before, we don't just want to do things because we always have. As we long to see all people transformed by Jesus, we want to challenge what that looks like for this church and these people at this time. There's been, as I said, a a demographic turnover. There's a change from five years ago. We've seen a hunger for scripture, to understand the broader narrative of the Bible, diving into scripture rather than topics, allowing God's word to direct learning and faith. We know connection continues to be important. And looks different for everyone, whether you arrived in the city recently, you've been here for a long time, whether you're single, if you have kids. And so we've tried Sunday brunches, we've tried different things to allow those connections, those those communities to be built beyond the, the rows of chairs. We've started newcomers dinners again, focusing again on connection rather than just communication of information. The next one's in a few weeks. If you want to be a part of that, if you're new to the church, you want to meet some people, maybe you're not in a community group yet and that's a good step for you, let us know. We'd love to connect you that way. The Luke 4 branch was designed a bit less of a presentation and more of a community expression of celebration. As I said, our community groups continue to form part of that central part of community and spiritual growth study beyond a beyond Sunday message. We've added some more liturgical rhythms in a Sunday service. We've added worship Sundays. Instead of just adding evenings to the calendar, we've used a scattering of Sunday mornings to focus our eyes on worship and abiding in Jesus in, in partnership with expressions of worship with Color Vault. Color Vault continues to be one of our major expressions of ministry. And Moses is gonna share a little bit more about um, where Color Vault is and how, how it's impacted the community and the church um, over the, the recent years, year, year plus. So, Moses, why don't you take over?
1: Thanks, Phil. So, I'm just gonna give a brief update about Color Vault. Um, Those who have been here for A couple of years probably are more familiar with it, and those who are new or returning probably a little bit less familiar. And so this is going to be a brief overview of what it even is, why we're doing it, how it's been going so far, and uh, what's next for Color Vault. So uh, let me pull up my notes. So first, what it is. And in short, Color Vault is a collective that we formed of indie worship artists that just create beautiful, raw, unhindered prayer music pointed right at Jesus. Um... Right now, the collective consists of Alex Taylor, Alf Bashai, and Eric Marshall, who've all led worship here at LMCC. And um, I really like the way Alf describes Color Vault in terms of the specific creativity around it. And the idea is that for every song that Color Vault creates, there are two criteria. One is that you can pray it. You can pray it directly to God and know that you're connecting in prayer with our Maker through the words of the music. And two is you can play it right alongside other music on your playlist, even secular music, and it holds up musically. I really like the way that the culture writer at the Gospel Coalition put it in writing a review of um, Color Vault's EP last year. A worship supergroup of sorts, Color Vault combines the formidable talents of Eric Marshall. Of young oceans with alex alf Bishai and alex taylor of lmcc the result is a spellbinding sound that blends techno beats up tempo electronica and lyrics that sound like psalms it doesn't seem like it should work but it does that's what it is and we're really excited about it we're really excited about how god has blessed it and the reason we started it is because god called us to He blessed us with amazing resources and the creativity of our songwriters and worship leaders as well as financial resources. And we heard him calling us to put those two resources together in order to bless not just the people of this church, but God's people around the world. And it goes to that gospel story where Jesus is sitting in someone's home, I think it's a tax collector... And this woman comes and breaks open this alabaster box. And the alabaster box is really expensive. It's alabaster perfume that in one of the gospels it says is worth a year's worth of wages. And she anoints Jesus' feet with her hair. And some of the people sitting around are like, this seems wasteful. And Jesus is like, no, this is really good. She has done something wonderful for me to worship me in this lavish way. And wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. And that's our heart behind Color Vault, is that we just want to pour out, like that value statement said, pour out our affections and worship to Jesus in this raw and authentic and unhindered way. And that's what these artists are doing. Um, A secondary but important reason goes to what we said earlier. You know, there's another parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep shepherd has hundred sheep, 99 stay, one strays away. And the shepherd goes after that one sheep. And when he finds the one, he comes back and he rejoices and he throws a party. And a lot of worship music that exists out there is for the 99 sheep, the sheep that just stay. And most secular music is for that one sheep who strays away. And we saw an opportunity to really create worship for the hundred. For both those that stay and the one that strays away, where all could come together and authentically worship and connect with our God. So that's the what and the why behind Color Vault. And how it's going is incredible. God has really, really blessed what he called us to do. Um, I'll just talk about some numbers and some stats for a second. So just an overall headline number and stat. Over 700,000 people have listened to Color Vault music in the 18 months since it's been, since we first released music. And they've streamed Color Vault songs over 3 million times. Now, it's hard to get a sense of what these numbers mean, but in the first 18 months of a completely new music project, specifically in the niche, nichiest of niche spaces, worship is a niche space, indie worship is an even nichier space, this is, from our perspective, evidence of God's blessing and uh, hand on this project, and we're really excited about it. Far exceeded what we had, you know, thought for our goals for 2022, where we said we wanted 40,000 monthly listeners and 100,000 monthly streams. Uh, in the summer, we were hitting 100, over 100,000 monthly listeners and over 270,000 monthly streams. So that's just... God is doing something really, really special through Color Vault, and we're just really excited about it. We've, we started in October doing these live shows, which we're calling worship parties, um, where we've had you know a live experience for about 50 to 100 people. Thursday's show was sold out. I don't know who got to be there, but it was an amazing, amazing experience. People were dancing so hard that the floor looked like it might cave in in that old dusty venue. So it was an awesome worship party experience, and the spirit was there, and it was amazing. Um, you know, I really, um, this anecdote from someone, this is a comment we got from someone that, uh, that I think really captures it. And the person said, I can say in all truth that I am grateful God led me to your music. I'm extremely picky with worship as I seek a genuine and not syrupy, for lack of better words, connection with our heavenly father through sound. One can listen to your music and hear the heart behind the words. Well done, good and faithful servants. Keep doing what you you all what you all are doing, and know God is using you to bring others closer to his heart. Um, So yeah, God's God's been doing a work in Color Vault, and we're really excited about it. Um for 2023, our plans are more music. Um each each artist is gonna do an individual EP. We're doing some songs with other artists. If you were there on Thursday, you heard a young black woman named Raven uh, do a song, and she's going to do one with us. Um, We'll do more live shows, uh, as close to one a month as possible. And, you know, the other big thing is we're going to be discerning what the next step is for Color Vault in 2024 and beyond. You know, when we get into budget, you'll see that come 2024, depending on how, resources come in we may have to start making some difficult decisions about what gets resourced how we resource different things and um, we know God is blessing color vault but we're you know we're entering into this period of discernment about what LMC's financial participation would be going forward and so last thing I want to leave you with is just how to participate Um, I think the first thing is prayer pray for our artists Pray for the music. Pray that God will show us how he wants us to move and continue in this project. Pray that God will continue to lead these songwriters to connect with him in the music that they're making and lead people into authentic worship of him. Um, Share. Share the music. Invite people to the shows. Come to the shows. And just just reach out. Reach out to me. Grab me. Reach out to ALF, grab ALF with ways you might be able to help if you know people in this space. If you want to be involved in helping in any way, get in touch with us. Um, so that's, that's where Color Vault is. That's what we've been doing with it. Like I said, God's been doing a work in this. We're really excited about it, and we can't wait to see what he continues to do with it in 2023 and beyond. Back to Phil. Phil.
0: As Moses said, if you want to partner with, with that ministry, or with any ministry, it starts with prayer. And um, this church has had a central place, prayer been a central place for a long, long time. That continues to be the case. We meet twice a week as a church to pray. Um, you'll see in Holy Week, there'll be some new um, prayer initiatives coming out that week that will carry on beyond, um, over Easter and beyond. So please do engage with that. And then another thing we, we want to add is new ministries, New ways to connect to, to new people or new demographics. But instead of us creating them and then hoping people fill those, we would love to hear from you. And if you feel led, if you feel passionate, if God has laid something on your heart, we'd love to hear what that is as we create or point or empower ministry leaders to take on new areas of ministry to serve this church. Another metric of, of our values um, is knowing where our money goes. And so um, Alicia is going to just share some broad strokes of the budget for the year ahead um, with transparency so you can see um, some of how we are navigating those resources. So,
2: Thanks, Phil. Good morning, guys. Um, there is a slide up there. Um, people in the first couple of rows might be able to see it. Um, those of you in the back, it might be a little bit more difficult. Um, if you want to take a closer look at the numbers, you can um, pull up this service on YouTube afterwards and, and take a look at the slide. It'll be on the live stream. And you know, I offer this every year. I offer it up again this year. If there's anything you want to talk about, you know, after we present. Um, please um, let me know. I'm happy to sit down with each and every one of you or any of you um, who wants to, to hear more. Um, all right, so this is my, I think, fourth or fifth year presenting the annual financials at the church, and, you know, I'll start off by saying that um, I have never felt better about the integrity of the financial reporting and of the controls that are in place at our church, and that's not to my credit. I just get to stand up and talk to you about it. Um, The credit goes to Ashley Wolf, our bookkeeper. It goes to Phil, who oversees all aspects of operations and finances at our church. Um, It goes to Mia, who has been um, volunteering um, as a consultant to Ashley and to Phil, um, and also to Brad, who has also uh, been a volunteer consultant. Um, So I say this every year, but I'll say it again. I may be a numbers person, but I never feel entirely comfortable talking about the church in terms of numbers. It can be so cold and so impersonal, and that is the last thing a church is. Um, But it does tell a story about what God is doing at this church, and so I'll do my best this morning to present that story to you. All right, so let's get oriented here. Um, for those of you who can see the TV and can see the numbers, um, there are three columns up there. The first couple of columns are a snapshot of what happened in 2021 and 2022. So those are sort of final actual numbers from the last two years past. The third column, the one highlighted in blue, is our budget for 2023. And it's somewhere between a forecast and a guide for the year, right? That's our budget for 23. All right, now let's talk about the three main sections of the financials. Um, like every P&L snapshot, every income statement, there are three sections. There's an income section, an, ex- an expenses section, um, and then there's a net profit or loss, which is how those two sections net out. Um, let's start with the income. That's just one line up top. And when I look at our church's income over the past three years— I can see how much God loves and has blessed our church. You heard Phil say this a couple of times in his remarks, this little church that God loves and blesses. You know, we get to feel that every Sunday uh, when we meet with God here, when we feel his presence here, but we also get to see it in the numbers. If you look at our income in 2021, um, we had a one-time gift of over $3 million, which put our total income for that year above $6 million. It's pretty astonishing for this little church. Um, last year, income was $2.2 million, which you know, was a lot less than over $6 million, but is also an astounding number for this little church. If you look at what we're expecting for this year, and this is a conservative estimate for what we think income will be this year, it's again astounding for this little church. Um, so that's the income line. And again, I just in it see how much God loves us and has blessed us. The second section of the financials is the expenses section, and this captures all of the spending of the church. So we don't have just one line to show you. Um, We break it out into six categories so you can get a sense of where uh, the church's resources are going. Um, The two largest categories of spending for our church are staff payroll, and the giving that we do to outside organizations through our Luke Four fund. One thing that may stand out to you right away um, is you'll see a pretty big uptick in payroll last year in 2022. Um, The main driver of that is that we let our lead pastor go halfway through the year, and um, that uptick reflects the cost of caring for his family, which is happening over a period of time, but which all gets expensed into 2022. Um, There are also some other factors, like it was the first full year that we had Phil on staff. We added Godfrey as our youth minister. We added Esther to the worship team. And so when you see the big uptick in 2022, it really reflects all of that. Um, This year in 23, we expect the payroll number to come down significantly, but it's still our largest expense, as it should be, um, as our staff lead us in the work that God has called us to do. The second category is outside giving. This is pretty straightforward. We generally aim to give about a third of our church's income away to outside organizations um, that do wonderful work of caring for for those in need. Um, And between payroll and the Luke 4 fund, that generally makes up 50 to 60% of our expenses. Um, And from there, the amounts of the expense lines step down. Um, Sunday services is self-explanatory. And of course, it's mostly rent, of course, given New York City rent dynamics. Um, Color Vault, Moses talked about already. Um, Retreats and events is also pretty self-explanatory. The big item in there is the all-church retreat, which we just did last month. Um, And then there's general ministry costs. Um, And although it sounds like kind of a boring category, it's it's an important one because it includes important ministries for us like benevolence and counseling um, and also some general admin expenses of running a church. Um, so those are the expenses sort of in a nutshell. Um, big uptick in payroll last year, which will flatten out a bit this year. Um, and everything else I'd say um, we expect this year to fall into the normal range of movement from year to year. Now, when you look at the 23 budget, um, something that might stand out to you is that we're expecting to end the year at a $1.5 million net loss. While no one runs a church to run a profit, a large loss like that is still um, concerning. And as the overseers of the church and its resources, you should know that it's something we're watching very closely. I would say that um, we've adopted a very cautious posture with regards to all areas of finances and, um, and operations, um, everything from how we're forecasting uh, our income from the year in, in the year, as well as just every item of spending, really asking ourselves, Um, Has God called us to this, and are we spending wisely? And we do that every year, um, but it bears calling out that even more so in a year like this year. Um, While it's important for you to know that we've adopted a cautious posture with regards to our financials, um, it's also important for me to tell all of you that we remain very confident that God has given us the resources to make important decisions and to carry out the mission of our church. Um, A couple of things I'd call out on that front. Um, Number one, if you look at our financials on a rolling three-year basis, meaning if you add up all of our income and then add up all of our expenses and you net them out on a three-year rolling basis, pretty much our break even. It's like a 3% uh, very slim net loss, which is kind of astounding for any kind of nonprofit organization. Um, And then the second thing that I'd call out is because we had um, a year of substantial net profit in 2021, um, and we've had prior years of substantial profit, um, we actually have $3 million in cash reserves. um, And that's something we wanna make sure that we're stewarding appropriately um, as we enter into this next season. So I mentioned at the outset that numbers tell a story, and um, the story that I hear when I look at these numbers is that God loves us and has blessed our church and um, has given us the resources to carry out our mission. And uh, so I'll just wrap it up with um, thank you for trusting us to steward these resources on behalf of the church.
0: All right, we're in in the final lap, I promise. And um, what I wanted to do is sort of end the last lap, as it were, um, with the who's who of the church leadership, so you know. Um, the, the church leadership team is a team of lay pastors and staff that usually includes the lead pastor and executive pastor, those kind of people that provide oversight and governance for the church overall. In our, according to our bylaws, there must be a majority of lay members of that team and 75% of the team must be present to meet what's known as a quorum and hold a valid meeting. Now, there's only three of us right now, so that means we all have to be present every time we meet or it doesn't count. And we now operate in unanimity rather than majority. And that means each of us now only holds the authority when we're together in full union and we move as one. And this provides some helpful accountability and so to that end um we are also moving um, to a term of elders for these positions instead of pastors. There's there's a few reasons, and both pastor and elder are both terms that are are biblical and fully applicable in this sense. But as we move forward as a church, we wanna be ensured there's appropriate appropriate accountability amongst the leadership. And this this helps a little bit. It provides a little bit more clarity around distinction of roles. It, It shows that the team of elders have oversight over a lead or executive pastor and not the other way around. The roles haven't changed. The responsibilities haven't changed. We've just changed the term. Major decisions for this church are voted on in unanimously by this team. And this team is currently small and has space to expand. F- moving forward, um, towards the end of each ministry year, a ministry year is sort of September through, through May, June time. Towards the end of each ministry year, during that summer, elders will pray and review their commitment for the ministry year ahead. Through that prayer and discernment, decisions can be made whether to add members to that team or not, and that could be due to someone leaving, that could be due to a specific situation or, or a specific person has been identified in the church body that would be, that's been laid on our hearts by God as to, to considered part of that leadership team. But that doesn't make the summer particularly a special moment or an anointed moment. Anyone can propose a new candidate to the leadership team. It must be in writing by the bylaws. Um, And then the elder team, that team would pray and discern God's timing and whether that is the right add to the team. After um, six months of prayer and discernment over the past little bit, we've heard God tell us to ask Brad Stansbury to consider joining the team. And so last fall, we finally asked Brad if he'd consider entering into that discernment space with us. So again, in compliance with the bylaws, this all sounds very formal and official, but we are presenting Brad as a candidate to the church. And then we're going to allow you a period of time to provide feedback, thoughts, to meet with Brad, to talk to Brad, to talk to us, whatever you'd like to do before we actually appoint him. So there's this right of refusal moment, if you like. Brad has been a longtime member of this community. He and his family can be found usually on the second row over here. They have loved this church for many, many years. They've served in a variety of capacities during that time, both officially and unofficially. Now, I don't wanna create this weird campaign speech moment, so what we'll do is after service, we have some snacks. If you wanna meet Brad, he'd love to chat with you and talk to you about how God has laid on his heart this church and how he can care for this church well in the coming months and and beyond. So on our current leadership team, we can start running through those. Moses is one of our lay elders. Alicia is one of our lay elders, and she also serves as the um, treasurer of the board of elders. And then our staff. I currently lead the staff. Um, Ashley is our financial director. She also manages our HR processes. Marcy. Now, one of the advantages of us changing that term pastor to elder means that we can use pastor in a different sense than we had before. And in a prior iteration, pastor meant leadership team. And now we can use pastor in just the kind of the role that it is. And so Marcy will be stepping into a a new title, but the same role. She is an associate pastor of this church. And she's the associate pastor with a spiritual formation priority. Jasmine is another associate pastor. And she is in charge of community engagement. That includes Luke 4, um, outreach, newcomers, that kind of stuff. Um, Godfrey is our youth minister. Alf is our music director. He continues to head up our music and worship teams. Alex is one of our lead worship musicians, and Esther is also one of our lead worship musicians, and there are actually many others who work alongside us and serve alongside us in specific contracted roles through social media, in the band, many of our King students. Now... The elephant in the room, perhaps, is there's a position that we haven't mentioned. There's a vacant position that's traditionally called the lead pastor, Um, the spiritual guy, the spiritual leader of this community. And we are now ready to begin the work to look for that next person. And we brought on a search firm to navigate that work for us. And um, I I was telling Godfrey about this and he explained it back to me in a way that I think was really helpful. He said, well, so I think of it like a talent agency working to provide the very best selection of applicants for the role, for the gig. And that's exactly right. That's what they'll do for us. We've started that work of building a profile for them to work with. We've literally just started the work. But the the interviewing, the hiring, the actual decision lies with the elder team. And so to ensure we find the right candidate, if they find the right candidate for us to look at, for you to find the right person that God wants to lead us on, we need to pray and then we need to prayerfully provide input. So I asked that search team to create some spaces, some avenues to hear directly from you, not just the elders, not just the staff, but also from you and in places where the staff and the elders aren't around, aren't in the room. So if you would like to join a focus group to discuss the type of leader you're looking for or the type you're hoping to avoid, a member of that search team will be here on March 26th and after church we'll set up some of those meetings and you can discuss that in in person. Give them an idea of what you're thinking, what you're praying for, what you're hoping for. You can indicate that you'd like to be involved in that on one of these cards. They're on the chairs, there's some at the back. If the idea of a focus group fills you with dread and you'd rather complete a questionnaire online, and then indicate that on this form too. There's a space for that too. And we'll be in touch with details of when that will come out from from that team. If you're unable to meet in person for one of those focus groups on March 26th, then indicate that too. And we'll provide a Zoom option around that, that same time, around that same kind of week. We'd love to hear from you. We need to hear from you. They need to hear from you. So they present the right people for you This is an exciting time for our church as we begin to make progress out of that discernment phase and into one of action, of anticipation. So pray for your church, pray for the staff, pray for the elders. This will be a fairly lengthy process it'll probably take us towards the end of the year and we'll keep you informed as we move along in the process. And before I close, there's one last thing that is very important for you to, to know and have in mind, which is why I saved it to the end. Due to constraints with this venue, Tribeca 360, they are asking us to start church a little earlier on a Sunday, so when they have events, they have more time resetting the room. Their initial pitch was we were out of here by 9.30 in the morning, <laughs> and we laughed and laughed. So we went back and forth just a little bit, and they were very gracious, and they've been very kind. Um, so in, on March 26th, on like three weeks from today, we'll be starting at 10 a.m. moving forward. Hey, it'll leave more time for brunch. So it's all fine. And we'll keep reminding you from here to then, I promise. But to end, um, as the, the communion elements come around, I want to read this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible from John 21. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. And they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for it's stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for there were only about 100 yards. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have breakfast, Jesus said.